Hello, and welcome back to The Leader in the Clubhouse. I'm your host, Jackson Sven, and today we have a majorly special episode for you. That's right. We are welcoming in the 118th playing of the United States Open, and with us today on The Leader in the Clubhouse is friend of the show and guest contributor, Josh Carpenter with the Sports Business Daily. We'll give you a preview of this year's U.S. Open being played at Shinnecock, and we'll also talk about our predictions for the week. But before we do that, I want to remind you about our great deal with our friends over at GlobalGolf.com. They're offering our listeners an additional 9% off their purchase of used golf clubs when you use the promo code LCClubhouse9 at checkout. That's 9% off their already great deals. I've gotten some clubs from there. Very happy with it. They have a huge selection of used golf clubs. So you can find whatever you're looking for, upgrade that old gear, and say hello to a goodbye. That's promo code LCClubhouse9 at checkout to save an additional 9% off used golf clubs at globalgolf.com. So check them out. But now I'd like to welcome back to the show from the Sports Business Daily, Mr. Josh Carpenter. How's it going, Josh? Uh, it's going great, Jackson. Uh, just excited to uh, to get U.S. Open week kicked off here. It's a major golf week, so very excited. We've got some major announcements, actually, from uh, the LITC crew, so we'll get to that later. But before we head into the U.S. Open, I do want to briefly touch on this week's action at the FedEx St. Jude Classic because there are some serious, in my opinion, some serious implications for what we saw this week. Of course, Dustin Johnson was the winner. He claimed his 18th PGA Tour win this week, and he is back in the world number one spot. Of course, uh, Justin Thomas was the man in that spot until this week, and he was there for only four weeks Want to mention that in a little while. I think I think it's worth talking about because um, the question arises. I guess if we might as well go ahead and talk talk about it because DJ played lights out. A lot of talk around DJ's long game, but uh, obviously with his dramatic finish, the hole out on 18, his 72nd hole, um, he shows that he is a well-rounded golfer. He is not just a one-trick pony. He's not just a long bomber. He is. The complete package, in my opinion, and he's back into world number one. So, what do you think about that? Do you think uh, one? I guess is DJ really the world's best golfer right now? He was there for about a year until JT took the spot. And on top of that, what about JT? For a while there, I thought he was going to be unstoppable, but I'm a little worried, and I'm sure he is too, that his best golf might be behind him. So, so what do you think about that? Where's uh, where's DJ fall in your list, and also JT, I guess. I think DJ's number one. Um, he's got how many wins does he have this year? Two now. Yeah, he won the Tournament of Champions and he won this week, um, which is really solid. I mean, I honestly, he made you know this week's event at least today was a little a little boring, but it's just because he's so solid. I mean, and he played he played just really solid golf. I think he made three birdies. Uh, obviously, Eagle Eagle the last and, and one bogey. So he's he's playing kind of U.S. Open style golf at least today. But he's just so solid. He gets the ball in the hole. I think it was the uh, the par five. I think the fifteenth today. Whaled his drive way right, um, and was able to punt. You know, from there, most players would be happy with a par, um, and he he cuts a, a little low burner out around a tree, up in front of the green, and just made it seem really easy and or really made it really easy for. Um, on that par five, um, JT, I don't know if I'd say his best golf behind him. I think he's his worst finish this year is tied 22nd. Um, so yeah, he, he, he moved up to number one. Um, he made that kind of obvious, uh, for a while that was kind of in his head trying to get that number one ranking. 
Um, so I, I, maybe that takes a little bit of pressure off him, um, you know, headed into this week. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I, I'd say Dustin is right now probably the best player in the world. So why don't we go ahead and, and roll into it? Let's talk a bit, little bit and do a preview of this year's to the 2018 U.S. Open. It's the 118th playing of the U.S. Open, and it is at Shinnecock Hills this year. This will be the fourth time the U.S. Open's been played at Shinnecock. It's been 14 years since it was played at this golf course in 2004, and the winner then was Retief Goosen. Uh, first time it was played at Shinnecock, it was... Raymond Floyd, who was the champion. Let me see what year. That was in 2000. Nope, sorry. <laughs> Obviously not 2000. Raymond Floyd won in 1986 and Corey Pavin in 1995. So a great list of folks there. Retief is probably the low man on that totem pole for sure. I guess one interesting thing, since it's been 14 years since they've played here, the course has gone through a little bit of a change. They've added about 500 yards to the course. It's going to play at 7,500 yards, and that's for a par 70. So it's going to be a long course. Now, they did widen the fairways, and so the average landing zone in 2004 was 26 yards. And this year, it will be 41 yards. So much wider fairways. Again, I don't know if it's going to be a bomber's paradise, but here's the trick is that if you get out of the fairway, you are doomed. They're growing up the fescue. It's going to be nasty. They also did a total green restoration. So the greens are totally different. They've actually um, moved those back to what the original William Flynn design, I guess, was was more like. They've they've gone back to that. So should be an interesting tournament. I think, you know, what I've what I've from what I've read uh, putting is going to be incredibly huge here. Really fast greens, really hard, really dry out there. And, you know, we can talk about this, but after, I guess, what you might call a debacle or letdown from the past few or couple U.S. Opens, uh, the USGA has a lot riding on this golf tournament. Uh, what are you What are you looking forward to? What's uh, before we get into individual golfers? What are you thinking about Shinnecock heading into this tournament? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is is the, you know the golf course. Obviously, um, it's a little different from you know as you mentioned. They've, they've, the fairways were twenty six yards wide um, at the Open in two thousand four. Then Bill Cord, Ben Crenshaw came in, renovated the golf course or restored the golf course, however you want to put that. Uh, they moved the fairways actually up to about, I think, uh, 70 something yards wide. And then for the open, they came in and, uh, and sized them back down, like you said, to 41 yards wide. Um, I'm kind of interested in the weather, you know, last year, um, at Aaron Hills, I think and I'm looking up here on my weather app to see what the weather's looking like this week. Last, you know, last year, Aaron Hills, uh, that course was really set up to be played in the wind to play tough, uh, if the wind blew. The wind did not blow, um, and that's why you saw Brooks Koepka shoot uh, 16 under. I think you saw a, a 63 from Justin Thomas on Saturday. You know, so uh, Shinnecock is another course that is is kind of in the same runs kind of parallel to Aaron Hills in that they need the weather to cooperate to to produce the types of scores that the USGA is looking for. So if if it, if the wind blows, then yeah, you could see a winning score around maybe three, four, five under par. Um, if it doesn't, you know, there have been stories about guys like JT, Ricky, uh, Rory going around there and shooting a pretty easy 65 um, in the months leading up to the tournament. Obviously, uh, course conditions then, you know, the USG hadn't really gotten to the course, set it up like they're going to set it up for this week. 
but uh but yeah the, the weather is is really a big thing i'm looking for and, and how that's going to impact uh play this week gotcha and and as far as i've seen the weather forecasts have been good and sunny but there is wind so if it's hard and it's rolling a lot the wind is going to be a killer these guys have to hit it straight you're going to want to look for um, good drivers good straight drivers of the ball yeah i think i think you've seen it's a, it's been a pretty wet uh spring at least on the east coast i'm pretty sure in new york as well so it'll be interesting to see you know how, how the golf course sets up with that in, with that in mind are, are they going to are they going to try to punish players this year? Do we do we have an idea how they're going to, you know, kind of redeem themselves from the last couple of years? Are they going to worry about it? Are they going to let the course do the work? Well, I mean, you know, they're always going to try and make the U.S. Open the, the toughest test in golf, or I don't know what their their motto is this year, but uh, <laughs> you know, they're always going to have thick rough, but they're going to reward you know straight drivers of the golf ball. Um, you know, I guess at a place like Oakmont around the greens, you might see a lot of thick rough. You know that penalizes players for for missing greens. Here, you're going to see more of the shaved banks around greens, kind of like you did at Aaron Hills last year. Shaved banks, really closely mown areas, um, where you know if a player misses a green on the wrong spot, then he's got no shot of, of getting up and down uh, for par. But you know, if he misses it and he plays a, a good shot, uh, they're going to reward that. Um, so, uh, yeah, they'll certainly punish players. Uh, basically, if you miss a fairway, I think from from seeing the golf course a little bit on TV, you know, in the in the lead up to uh, hearing players who have played there already, if you miss a fairway in that fescue, it's pretty much a one shot penalty, you know, unless you can pitch out, and uh, you know, you're going to have to pitch out basically, and, and just try and get an up and in for par um, with a wedge from 100 yards or so. So, yeah, it's they're definitely going to be uh, penalizing players for for poor shots. But I don't think that's I don't think that's out of the ordinary at all. That's that's typical U.S. Open. Yeah. Do you have some some major storylines heading into this year's U.S. Open? And um, maybe it would be helpful to kind of highlight some of the more important or some of your favorite featured groups. We have some all-star, rock star featured groups this year. Uh, one thing worth mentioning that is not really getting talked about as a featured group, of course, but our buddy. Uh, you're from his hometown, Harold Varner III, one of our show favorites from Gastonia, North Carolina, uh, ECU Pirate. He will be hitting the very first tee shot of this year's U.S. Open because he is in the first group and he is the first guy to tee off in that group. So he will be hitting the very first tee shot. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I think that's a, a probably a neat thing, a feather to put in your cap. And it'd be really cool if you were able to hit that first shot and then the very last shot for the win. So... Wishing him good luck. Yeah, uh, but what are some of your favorite feature groups? Which uh, which groups are you going to be looking to watch on PGA Tour Live on Thursday and Friday? Yeah, I don't. I mean, obviously, you've got the big groups with with Justin, uh, you know, Dustin and, and Tiger. You've got Rory, Jordan, and Phil. So obviously, you know, from a, a viewing perspective, those are going to be the those have to be the featured groups, right? On uh, on Thursday and Friday's early coverage. Um, so, the, I mean, you can't really look look past those groups. Now, that being said, you know, some of these players have, have spoken out about, you know, being in these mega groups. You know, you had the players, you had Tiger, Phil, and uh, and Ricky maybe. Um, I think Rory said something last week about how he's not really a fan of the, 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 of the power groups. Um, to an extent, I kind of agree with him. You know, you see these, these top players, they're going to be featured online anyway. So if you're a viewer at home, 
you're gonna, you know, if you're watching the Fox coverage, you're gonna see every shot that Rory hits, that Jordan hits, that Phil hits. They don't have to be in the same group. And for the people on the ground there, you know, yeah, if you get four holes ahead, you might be able to see them hit hit some shots together. But it, it's it's kind of tough to follow if you're just there, you know, on the ground. But whereas if you might have DJ playing with Martin Keimer and I don't know Sergio or something, that group's going to be a little easier to follow than than DJ, JT, and Tiger, which is going to be you know eight to ten people deep on every hole. So, but th- th- those are two two groups I guess I'll I'll keep an eye on. So from a business standpoint, you're a you work for a, a business sports focused uh, publication. What does that mean for golf? Are featured groups like this are these all-star featured groups good for golf like you said it it's not fun if you're live at the event but obviously there are more people at home watching the event and it probably means more viewership right i mean does it yeah, does I it mean, move it's, the it's, needle it's, to have these no, does i think it, it does i think it, it does because they can promote it they can come out on you know whenever it was thursday of last week and say hey we've got jt dj and tiger in a group so that right there is already you know they're promoting one group you know, a week in advance. Whereas if it was, you know, three other rando guys, they're not going to be, they're not going to say, Oh, you know, next week we've got Rory and, uh, you know, Andrew Putnam and boo weekly or something. Take it easy on Putnam. He's had a tough day. Those guys, but, uh, yeah, it certainly gives them something they can promote. You know, Fox loves it because Fox can say, Hey, we've got, you know, three of the best players. Well, we've got number one, we've got number two, and we've got number 80, I think, which Tiger is, you know, <laughs> in a group. So, uh, no, it's, it's it's good for the networks that they can promote. But I just as a as a someone watching at home, you know, it doesn't really do a whole lot for me. I guess for a more casual golf fan who might turn on, you know, four to six events a year, yeah, it's great for them. They're like, oh, man, we got got these three superstars in a group. But for me, hmm. I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence, uh, to be honest. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, you nailed it. It's hard for me to describe, but when Tiger's playing in these groups, I kind of want to focus on Tiger, and I feel like I'm not paying as much attention to what's going on with Rory's game or whoever he's paired with. Um, I gotta have my Tiger. So, don't you feel like these guys these guys don't really play too well when they're grouped together? Uh, you know, also I think uh, I forget the players, but I think those those two. Two super groups that the players were kind of a dud, at least on Thursday. Um, I know Tiger. Yeah, it's, it's hard to meet the expectation. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that it's the pressure, it's the crowds. It, there's something that's got to change. I don't know. It. I get that it's good for TV, but in the long run, really, it might be worse because if you're putting these guys um, constantly with Tiger that you want to win, like you want to see these guys. On Sunday in those groups, you don't want to see them on Thursday and Friday in those groups. Exactly. You want to see them late, and so it's kind of the kiss of death for a lot of these. Well, guys. and if you do, Once if you do end up seeing them on Saturday or Sunday in the same groups, that means they're playing some good golf, and you know, and, that, and that's when you want to see them together. So, having said that, are there any golfers that that you have your eye on or feel especially good about heading into this event? I would say, um, if I had to put maybe a, a top three. And you might say the exact same guys, but um, obviously DJ. I can't help but think that a win this week means a lot for his game. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's you know he looked really solid. He looked really solid today. But then you go back to the old, you know, 
it's flashed on the CBS telecast, you know, right. I think when he was playing 18, you know, no players ever won the week before the U S open and then got on to win the U S open. And, you know, I, I guess there's a first time for everything, but that does give you a little bit of pause because, you know, as easy as it looked, you know, for DJ winning today, there's still a lot of pressure. There's a lot of, it's just really stressful on not only as maybe his body wasn't that tired, but it's it's stressful on your mind to win a to win a PGA Tour event, and uh, for the U.S. Open, that's got to be to me the most strenuous golf tournament of the year um, on your mind at least. You can't let up for one shot, or you know you might make a double bogey that could cost you you know on the seventy second hole by the end of the week. So uh, there's something to that, that a player has never won the week before and then gone on to win the U.S. Open. But, yeah, I mean, you have to think DJ, you know, he's one of the longest players on tour. I saw Bubba's caddy, uh, Ted Scott, tweeted earlier. He said he had walked the, the golf course for the first time, and he was, like, basically guaranteeing that a, a big hitter is going to win the tournament. Um, ruled out short hitters, which, you know, are there really that many short hitters in golf these days? But... So, yeah, I think it definitely plays into DJ's hands. Um, was really solid this week. So there's a little bit of trepidation, but only only because of the whole never won the week before and then gone on to win the tournament. But Well, if anyone can do it, it would probably be DJ. And he did make it look so easy that I don't think it's the same amount of – I don't think he had the same amount of stress this week physically and mentally that, sure. that normally sure. uh, a winner in this position would have. Um, so I'm interested to see how he did. I, I Before this week, honestly, I wouldn't have given him much credit. Who would you say is at the top of your list? Who's the guy or guys that are at the top of your to-watch list? I think, I mean, you can't you can't ignore, obviously, DJ, but then you look at a JT, like I said earlier, hasn't had anything worse than a, a tie for 22nd this year. Um, I know he hasn't done anything splashy, really seems like since uh, Mexico when he, you know, we lost to Phil in that playoff. Um, I don't think I'm missing anything there. But, uh, you know, JT has been just so solid all year, really for the last two years. He's got to be there. To me, Justin Rose um, is right there, just won a Colonial, cruised at Colonial a few weeks ago. Um, obviously has a U.S. Open one at Marion back in 2013. So I think those three are really the guys you have to look at. But, I mean, honestly – the U.S. Open doesn't play to anyone's – it might play to anyone's strengths, but if you look – I was reading something earlier, and, uh, and it had a list of like 10 guys, and those 10 guys were Tiger, DJ, Kepka, Phil, JT, Spieth, uh, Ricky, Rose, uh, Webb Simpson, and Jason Day. And of all those guys, only uh, Brooks Kepka had finished inside the top 20 each year. Every other one of those guys, yeah, they had a first place – or, you know, they won the tournament, they finished fifth, but then in the third year, they missed the cut or they missed two cuts. And they had, a, I think Ricky finished well last year, but the prior two years, he missed the cut, you know, and, and Brooks had finished, you know, obviously one last year, but then the, the prior two years, he finished in the top, you know, between 15th and 20th. So um, there's a lot of parity with this tournament. You're not, you don't see a ton of guys that just go in there and finish, you know, top 10 every year. So there's a lot there that I would like to, to talk about quickly. And so we'll go ahead and roll into our love it and leave it section, if that's cool with you. 
Sure. So what we do is I'll, I have a list here of, of topics and what we'll basically say is, is try to as simply as we can say, love it or leave it. Meaning, um, it's something that obviously that you love or that you could do without. And the first one, you kind of briefly mentioned it in passing and I, we've played a lot of golf together. We've talked a ton of golf and, but I don't think we've ever talked about this and I could be wrong. Uh, might've been mentioned, but the first love it or leave it is the coverage from Fox. What, what do you think? I'd love to know what your opinion is because I know it's, um, there's a, a, a bunch of varying opinions on it. Fox, I think they started, they took over three years ago at Chambers Bay or yeah, 20 foot Chambers Bay was their first. Okay. And I mean, so love it or leave it. What do you think? Fox, Joe Buck, the whole package. I'm gonna, I'm gonna love it. I mean, at first, you know, three years ago, Joe Buck, you know, we'd never heard him call golf, right? So, and they're taking over for Johnny Miller. A lot of people are, you know, either love Johnny Miller or hate Johnny Miller. I'm one of the guys that I love Johnny Miller. I think he's fantastic. I think Dan Hicks is, is you know, the, the lead play-by-play man for NBC is, is about as good as it gets in golf. Um, you know, and those guys have been doing the U.S. Open forever. So it was tough at first, you know, when Fox took over Fox you know, deservedly so, got ripped for their first year of coverage. Um, you know, they had, you know, when DJ three-putted on 18 and Jordan won, Fox didn't have a camera on Jordan to see his reaction to winning the U.S. Open. Uh, there were a lot of other little things, but, you know, that's going to happen the first year. Since then, I think they've really picked it up. They've got the, the shot tracer um, on, I don't know, the, you know, the number of holes that they have it on or, or how often they're going to have it on. But it's really uh, – they've got that in play a lot. They've got a lot of cool little technology things. And they have something like 45 hours of coverage, which to me is the biggest thing. Like just – I don't care really about the technology. That's great. Add all that in. But just give me enough coverage. Give me a lot of golf. The more the better. Um, so the more the better. I can't I can't get enough of it. So from that perspective, I'll, I'll, I'll love it. I agree. I love it. Uh, there were some growing pains and I was not a fan of Joe Buck at first. And I'm trying to think what event this year that I was watching him and I was like, Hmm, okay. It might've been the U S am. Uh, they do that too. I guess they do all the USGA events. Yeah, now, they right? have all the U.S. It might have been the, the U.S. Women's Open a, a few weeks ago. Um, Could have been. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I mean, Joe, Buck, that was... Joe Buck is one of the best. He's one of the best, you know, play-by-play men in the game in, in sports. I mean, he's been doing NFL for how long. He's been doing the World Series, you know, on Fox for for forever. Um, it, it was just a little different hearing him on golf, but you know, I think. They got rid of Greg Norman after that first year. Paul Azinger, to me, is one of the best analysts in the game. Um, I think Brad Faxon's really good. Shane Bacon. So new this year, they're going to be kind of splitting the main booth. Um, you're going to have Buck and, and – uh, not Aikman. I almost said Aikman um, for their NFL coverage. You're going to have Buck and Azinger as their main crew, but they're also going to be kind of splitting duties with with Shane Bacon, who uh, who hosts a lot on PJ Tour Live, does some other work. Uh, him and Brad Faxon are going to be kind of the – co-main booth hosts um, for this year. That's new this year that uh, that they're doing. So yeah, I think I think I'm kind of looking forward to to see what Fox has in store for us. So sticking with the US Open, you know, the USGA has moved the US Women's Open and the US Men's Open to a two-hole aggregate playoff. And of course we got a taste of that a couple weeks ago uh, when um, Arya Jutanagarn from Thailand um, lost her we we mentioned this lost her seven <laughs> seven seven shot lead 
um, going into the back nine, ended up in a playoff with H.J. Kim. So what do you think? What do you think about the uh, USGA's decision to change that that playoff? Do you love it or leave it? Uh, this is, I was actually thinking about this earlier, and I, I'll leave it. I, part of me is kind of a traditionalist, and I love the thought of, you know, they, I think they used to play 36-hole uh, playoffs for the U.S. Open. That was, that's been a while. That's been a while ago. But, you know, you go back to Tiger and Rocco and how good that was. Um, but then you've also, I think you've had some stinkers in there, too. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I think I think when Retief Goosen won the first time at, at two, in 2001 at Southern Hills, I don't think it was a great playoff. And you kind of see where the USGA is coming from. Uh, you know, they have an aggregate two hole, so it's not sudden death. So if a player makes a bad shot, he can make it up on the next hole. So I get that. I also get from the point of, you know, you you want to crown your U.S. Open champion on Sunday night. And it can be kind of anticlimactic on a Monday afternoon. Um, so I, I kind of get that. Everyone's looking to get out of Dodge after the tournament's over. You know, the volunteers are ready to go. Everyone else is ready to go. So, that you know, they don't want to come back another day. So I, I kind of – I don't want to say I'm on the fence on this. I guess I'll leave it because I did like the history, the tradition of the 18-0 playoff. But I do see where the USGA is coming from here. I will, I will leave it as well because everything that you just mentioned, it kind of feels like it's a financial decision. It's about um, TV coverage or, like you said, volunteers and, and just getting it over with in a way. And it's not about the golf tournament and the golf. And like we just said, the more, the better. Um, So I like the 18 hole playoff. I don't, you know, I don't mind the two hole playoff. I get it. I guess, I guess it's just something that has to be done. It's modernizing the game. uh, There's a lot more important people making these decisions. Um, But I, I too will leave it. I, uh, We'll see. I, anytime there's a playoff, I'm happy. That's extra golf. So uh, at least it's not sudden death. That would be that would be horrendous. I guess that's me. As a, as a, as much as I love golf, if it's a major championship, and then at the end of seventy holes, you say, "Nope, we got eighteen more holes." To me, that's like Christmas. Yeah, a second absolutely. time over. You know, like I love that. So it's kind of like uh, when I when I first saw them. When I first saw the the news earlier, I think they announced it in February early this year. I hated it. I was so I would have left that so far behind. You know, now I'm kind of seeing a little bit more where they're coming from. But but yeah, why why, why not three? Yeah. I know there was. I'm I'm sure it was bounced around everything from from three to maybe even nine holes. I don't know. But uh, why uh, why two? It feels like it's just not enough. It's just. Three, it may not, maybe they think three isn't really much more anyway, so we might as well make it two. It's better than one. Um, I would have liked to see three, though. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure. I mean, maybe they talk to the other governing bodies in golf. I mean, you know, the Masters is a sudden death playoff. Uh, the U.S. Open's now a two hole playoff. Uh, the British Open, the Open Championship, is a three hole playoff. And I think the PGA, I'm not sure what that is. Probably mm-hmm. sudden death. I really have no idea. I think they just thought, they thought that two holes is, you know, a player can make, if he makes a mistake, he can make it up on the next hole. Okay. Um, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's what, what they're, what they were thinking um, in making that decision. But I'm not sure. So there was some pretty big news in the golf world away from the course this week. And that is a course that uh, Ricky Fowler, everyone's favorite bachelor golfer, 
uh, popped the question and is now engaged to his girlfriend, Allison Stoke. Um, so first off, congratulations to them. But we kind of, I kind of get the feeling that this is uh, not going to be good for his game. We saw what happened to Sergio after he won the Masters, <laughs> and then he got engaged, and then he had a baby, and it just didn't work out that well this year. So, so what do you think? I mean, let's go ahead and put this out there. We love it for Ricky. We love it for her. Now, Ricky is trying to get this, the get rid of the major curse, I guess you would say. So, what do you think? Love it or leave it at this point, right before. Uh, a stretch of majors. I mean, love it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, love it for them getting engaged. Congrats to them. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really think it's going to affect his game too much. Okay. I think Ricky's a strong player. Um, I did when he did it. I was kind of like, wait, oh, you know, why are you doing it the week before the U.S. Open? But, <laughs> yeah. um, it's a bold it's, move. It's kind of whatever. You know, it's it's his life. He can do yeah. what he wants. So uh, yeah. if he if he thought it was going to mess with his game, obviously, I don't think he would have done it. So. I, Okay. I don't know. That's fair. I, I think I think I think he's a strong enough player that it shouldn't shouldn't affect him too much. So that's going to be in the in the middle there. I think I'll agree with you there. I love it. I'm happy for him, um, but I personally am not thrilled with the. Um, I want to see him break through in in the yeah, majors. For sure. And maybe hey, you never know. Maybe this is something that uh, that propels him and encourages him and is is the boost he needs. So, you don't know, but I don't feel that way. You're not you're not thr- you're not thrilled with the timing. I'm not thrilled with the timing. I, I have to leave it um and be a, a cur- curmudgeon about that. But um <laughs> Tiger, now we didn't really mention him and he's starting to trend towards some pretty good stuff. He had a share of the lead at the Memorial on Saturday, I believe. Uh, before kind of trailing off there. So, Tiger's chances to get back in the winner circle at a major, love it or leave it. I'll leave it. It's still the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open. You got to putt well, and his putting has been atrocious. Or was a memorial. The putter can just come back it though. Can, you know can, that as a golfer yourself, that, it can just gonna, come and go. You know, Tiger. I got to see him win a tournament before I can before I can love it. His iron boy was fantastic. Maybe you know some of the best we've ever seen him with his irons at Memorial. But until he. Gosh, man, it's that uh, Y.E. Yang. Ever since that day at uh, at Hazeltine in 09, Tiger's just Sunday in a major. It's just tough to – I got to see it. I got to see it. Okay. Well, I had to ask. I feel like that's um, maybe the biggest headline going into this event. And, and that's, uh, You know, I'd love to say, oh, yeah, no doubt. But to me, I just – I'm, I'm – Playing it cautious. Yeah, I'm leaving it too. I've been so high on Tiger all year that I feel like leaving it at this point is his best uh, best chance of winning. So I'm going to leave it and hope that that propels him and he'll get the leader in the clubhouse <laughs> bump. Um, <laughs> um, two things that are not directly related to the U.S. Open at all. The first one being um, we're having another controversy, I guess, swirling around the backstopping topic. Of course, Jimmy Walker was causing some fury around golf Twitter with his opinion and that he feels that backstopping is okay and it's a part of the game and maybe even good sportsmanship on some weird level to leave your ball there uh, if it's going to help a playing partner or opponent. So what do you feel about 
I guess, twofold here, backstopping one, and the constant uh, idea of this getting brought back up into the conversation that we have to keep talking about. This is not something that I grew up hearing people talk about ever. And if it happened while you're on the golf course, um, you know, it wasn't a big deal. It, it, it didn't seem to really impact the game that much. It was something that you would like, oh, I hope he leaves this ball there so I can <laughs> just in case. But I mean, how often did it actually help? Uh, what do you think? Love it or leave it? Backstopping and, and everything that's swirling around with that. I'll leave it. I think in this age of social media and everything, I think everyone wants to just find something to get upset about, which I think is, you know, why you've seen it go away for a few months and then come back and you know, I don't necessarily agree with Jimmy Walker saying if a guy's short-sighted or if he's got a bad lie somewhere, he's going to leave his ball on the green, you know, so he can help the guy out. But honestly, it was something that I had never thought about before this year and the whole debate's been brought up. I just I, I just don't really care, you know. Obviously, I, I, I would kind of hope the guy wouldn't, you know, purposefully – I know there's a whole protect the field hashtag going around and all this stuff, but you would think, you know, within the rules of golf, a player wouldn't like purposefully leave his ball, you know, three feet behind the hole, hoping that he's going to help his buddy, you know, knock it close. But like you said, that's going to happen maybe a few times a year. And I just think in the grand scheme of things, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. Um, So and maybe that's what Walker's trying to say, like in his in his weird roundabout way is it's not a big deal. It rarely actually impacts the game. So, I mean, he went about it the wrong way. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Twitter is the way to go about, uh, you know. Twitter can get you in some trouble if you're not careful with it. So I don't know if that's the way to go about it. Uh, I think it started today with there was some video of of two players. I forget who they were, and, and one guy's ball was like three feet, you know, behind the hole. They took the pen out, and then the other guy in the group's chipping it up, and and there was some comment made that like, oh, look at these guys, you know, backstopping or something like that, and uh, and that's where Jimmy kind of went off, or he didn't go off. I don't think he was upset or anything, but that's just kind of where he chimed in, I guess. But um, I don't know. I just think it happens so little. I think you might see it now more because, you know, you got PGA Tour Live, you've got all these different avenues to watch the game. You're going to see it more, but I just don't think it's that big of a deal. So we'll leave that one. And then I guess the last uh, topic, We now we've talked about this before, and we've talked about all the great things that the European Tour is doing to bring more people into the game, make it more enjoyable to watch. And we had a little event today where they were implementing the shot clock on the European tour, the shot clock masters. So would love to know your opinion about it and whether you'd like to see that come over to the PGA tour. Maybe they started off in the web.com tour to give it a little uh, test, but love it or leave it shot clock for golf. And I, I don't know if you knew this, but um, they didn't have any penalties on Thursday or Friday or Sunday, but they did have three penalties dished out on Saturday on moving day, I guess when the pressure was getting a little more heavy and actually like, um, so the, the, you know, overall the shot clock didn't impact too many people, but scores were down this year statistically. Like, so golfers were playing better and playing faster. Um, so shot clocks in golf, love it or leave it. Yeah, I love it. Um, I don't, I don't know how long it's going to take for it to get implemented on the PGA tour. You know, you've seen a, 
I've said it before, I think on, on this podcast, you know, I think that I see the, the European tour almost like a, a little experiment for the PGA. And not that the PGA tour is telling the European tour to do it, but the European tour is, is almost seen as this testing ground. You know, they've got the golf sixes, they've got the walk up music, they've got the co-ed teams, you know, and now on the PGA tour, you've got an event with walk up music, um, along with that team event. I think there's been some talk about a co-ed event in some way. Um, so I, I do, I love the shot clock masters. Like I said, rounds were, I think 45 minutes quicker. Um, you saw scores that were not that different than, you know, last year's event, you know, played under regular conditions. Um, I think a lot of, the, you know, if with something like this, you would have a few players who obviously weren't happy with it, but I think the majority of the guys out there play at a pretty good pace and they're going to be happy with this sort of thing because it's going to make it make it go a little quicker. Um, you know, there's no need to, to go out there and plot around so slow as some of these guys. Uh, you know, so I think and I think you saw that a couple of the PGA Tour players, and I believe Horschel was one of them, uh, sent out a, a tweet today, I think, praising that event and, and how he wishes something like that would be implemented over over on in the, in the States. Yeah, I love it. I loved watching it. I think we need it on the golf courses that uh, aren't just PGA Tour golfers, golf courses. So I think it's great. I think and and like on a tournament today, um, where and, and I forget, I'm, I apologize not having it up, but the Finnish guy, his first name is Miko. That one was six or seven shots ahead almost the whole day. And so I did want to watch it just a little bit to see if that clock would wind down um, and someone would get a penalty and see how that affected them. So uh, it was fun to watch, and I think it's great for the game. So I, too, will love it. Sadly, we are out of time. So that's all we have for today. Josh, any final parting thoughts uh, before we go into this week's U.S. Open? No, I don't think so. I think just uh, just excited for uh for another major, I mean, it's probably my third favorite major, but uh, you know, that's like saying it's your your third favorite kid, right? You love them all, so uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, really excited. Um, love Shinnecock. It's it's, and you know, we we talked earlier. It's it's one of those classic golf courses. You know, most people would put it right up there. You know, in the the U.S. Open Rota, they put you know Shinnecock, uh, Oakmont, Marion, those you know Pebble, those courses. So uh, after you know two years of or two out of three years, you know, Oakmont in 16, but 15 at Chambers Bay, new course. Um, and then last year at Aaron Hills, new course. Uh, it's it's nice to be going back to, to one of the classics. Couldn't agree more. Well, enjoy this week of golf, Josh, and thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot, Jackson. We'll, uh, we'll talk next time. Well, that will wrap things up for the show this week. So if you're not already following us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at ClubhouseCast. You can also find us out on Facebook by searching Leader in the Clubhouse Podcast. As always, you can find us at LeaderInTheClubhouse.com. But until next time, for Josh Carpenter, this is Jackson Sven with the Leader in the Clubhouse reminding you to golf happy.